0: You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening, and welcome to this week's best possible taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and as tomorrow's International Women's Day, we're taking that on board on the program this evening and I've a great lineup of guests for you. Before I tell you who I'm talking to tonight, I want to tell you about a fantastic dinner that's on tomorrow night. That's Wednesday the 8th of March and it's going to be a celebration of International Women's Day. I've been collaborating with the team at the award-winning Mustard Seed at Echo Lodge in Ballingarry County Limerick to design a menu that features some of my favorite dishes from both sides of the border and There's five courses on offer, plus your tea and coffee with yummy pity for. And there's lots to choose from, including the Northern Ireland signature dish, which is called Born and Braised. I was lucky enough to get a sample of that dish and um, it incorporates shin of beef and bone marrow gremolata. And I was in Belfast in January and it really is delicious and worth trying. So I'm looking forward to seeing Chef Angel Perev's interpretation of it. Which will, of course, use locally sourced ingredients and uh, Pat Barry beef, I think. And in fact, you might have seen Angel on with Nevin Maguire last week on RTE1. That was the last programme in Nevin's latest series, which is called Nevin's Irish Food Trails. So if you did miss that, you should check it out on the RTE player. Do get in touch with the mustard seed as there's still time to book it. And it's only 47 euros, so that's not very much for five courses in the mustard seed, plus your tea and coffee and pity for. And there's a few surprises in store as well I have a few little tricks up my sleeve also if you fancy spending the night it's €55 Euros per person sharing bed and breakfast. Great value at a top restaurant and they've done up the rooms recently so I'm looking forward to seeing them. Also tomorrow if you are in the Kerry area I'm seeing a cookery demo and talk with Lizzie Lyons from Lizzie's Little Kitchen. Lizzie's from Listowel and a regular on TV3's Sunday AM cookery slot so she'll be cooking up a storm in the demo kitchen in Bally Home and Garden from 11 o'clock until 12 o'clock and you can find out more about that demo on ballycd.ie In the meantime, it's on with the show and tonight we will be heading stateside to find out what Philadelphia has to offer the food lover with Julie Coker-Graham, President and CEO of Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau. A call to the kingdom to Louise Brosnan, chef de party at Edo's in Dingle, a mentor on the Apprentice Chef programme will reveal what it's like when the mentor becomes a mentee with Ireland's only female Michelin star chef, Danny Barry, in Dean's Epic in Belfast. But our first guest this evening is Fiona Uyama, who first appeared on the show about three years ago, I think it was. And Fiona is a Japanese cooking guru and she's lots of news for us. So I'm looking forward to hearing what she's been up to.
1: Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm.
0: Fiona, thanks a million for taking the call today. You're very welcome to the programme. Oh, thank you very much for having me. It's my pleasure. I love catching up with you because I keep an eye on what you're up to and it's always very exciting. And I I just want to take you back to your student days. You were in DCU, you were studying Japanese and international marketing and that meant you spent some time in Japan and you just totally fell in love with the cuisine over there.
2: Yeah, that's right. The first time I went over, I was a third year student on an exchange program. So spent three months with a Japanese homestay family and then went on to do an internship for six months. So I really delved into, I suppose, the Japanese home life, living with a Japanese family and really got to observe what Japanese home cooking was, because I suppose before I went out, there was all these misconceptions about raw fish, sushi. And then I realized suddenly, God, there was so much more to it. And um, yeah, just absolutely loved it and loved the way I suppose it made me feel. I was more energetic. Um, I found it easier to digest and um Yeah, just the taste of it as well. Absolutely delicious. And when I graduated, I went back then and graduated and um, I went straight back out after that for another two years. I worked as an English teacher in a very rural village in Japan, I might add. But in a way, you know, um, it was a very it worked out well in the sense that I really connected with the Japanese country lifestyle And the raw ingredients, you know, I had a community of rice farmers um, around me who gave me food at my doorstep. And that really encouraged me then to experiment with recipes, because, as you know, when you live abroad, you have a lot of free time, you know, um, to to experiment with cooking in the evenings. Um so yeah that that was really it, and then I came back to Ireland, and I couldn't really forget about the experience, so continued to cook Japanese food.
0: Was it when you were out in Japan that you met Gilmar, who is now your husband?
2: That's right. I met him actually when I was a student, and um Gilmar was working out there as well, yeah, so we met very young, didn't expect to meet uh my soulmate at such a young age. <laughs>
0: And Gilmar, he is Brazilian, but he has Japanese family.
2: That's right. So Gilmar was born in Brazil, but his grandparents on both sides are from beautiful subtropical island down to south of Japan called Okinawa. So Gilmar would have been brought in a, a very Japanese cultured environment. I suppose the every meal would have been Japanese focused because his grandparents lived with him. Um, so he was brought really up on a Japanese diet. His mother is a uh, uh, an amazing Japanese cook, you know, so she definitely would have been one of my inspirations. And it was from her, actually, that I learned how to make sushi.
0: Well, he's obviously not like these Irish men that are attached to their mommies if he was happy to come <laughs> and live in Ireland.
2: No, absolutely not. I suppose, you know, he left Brazil at he was 18 or 19 when he went to Japan. So he really, I suppose, he always had a flavour for travelling and he started at a very young age.
0: So your career then, whenever you came back from Japan, to Ireland, you had a, a good corporate type job, but you had this love and passion for Japanese cooking and it was so much so that you started to give cookery lessons in it.
2: Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, I was very career focused in the corporate world and, um, you know, I had my degree, I was working using my Japanese and then I specialised in tax. I did the Irish tax exams. So um, I'm an, a qualified tax consultant. So I was working away in that uh, and, You know it was really as good as it got in the corporate world and but there in the background you know i had this passion and for food and japanese food so i started blogging part-time and then that grew into i met a beautiful um circle of friends there bloggers and they kind of supported me a lot at the beginning and i started these japanese cookery classes and it was kind of me just dipping my toe in and seeing what would happen really it was a safe environment And um, the cooking classes were just the response I got was overwhelming. The classes just kept booking out. Um, Mila Gallery and City West supported me. They gave me a venue to hold them when I wanted to move them out of my house. And um, they just kept booking up and my uh, followers kept growing on my blog and the feedback I was getting. And as you know, then that grew into a book. You know, so Mercier Press supported me and published my book. So, yeah, it kind of just kept growing. And the response I got from the Irish public was just amazing. And, you know, I really have to say they're kind of what drove me forward all the time when I was working late nights and weekends along trying to, you know, balance two jobs. Um but then, in the end, I I made the decision. You know, this is really what I love, and I left my corporate job and work full time now in this, which is fantastic.
0: And I'm very lucky that I can. I met you about I think it's three years ago when you invited me up to the the Japanese cooking classes, yes. and there's still a couple of the dishes that I would have learnt there that are they feature regularly in the in the household here in oh, Newcastle That's West. To hear. Yeah, it was a great cookery class because. I've been to a number of cookery demos and cookery classes and I kind of come away with great intentions, Mm -hmm. but nothing happens. But you really did inspire me and my husband delighted to have a couple of different things and a nice, as you say, healthy and a big change from the meat and tube age.
2: Yes, exactly. And I always try, I suppose, to keep the classes in a way that they're practical and it's what Irish people or people living in Ireland would have in their fridge so they don't have to go out and do this big expensive shop and that's probably one of the misconceptions with starting a Japanese way of eating or a Japanese diet is it's going to be expensive it's going to be time consuming so two of the objectives when I'm planning the class is really that a it doesn't take a lot of time so a lot of the dishes are 20-30 minutes and b that people don't have to make this big financial investment to you know try a few Japanese dishes at home.
0: And you do a number of demos as we said around the country that you would be at is it Bloom and you're going to Malu Lit Fest this year.
2: Yeah that's right I've been at Bloom about three years now and I love that you know it's just an absolute honour to be on the chef stage along the likes of you know Nevin and Catherine who again would really be my cooking heroes that I look up to um yeah and then I'm in Ballymaloo Litfest uh this year it's my second year to be there uh I'm going to be in the big shed so I'll be um showcasing I suppose my new brand Fused by Fiona Uyema and then I'll also be doing a few uh, Japanese cooking demos in the big shed
0: as well. Your book will obviously be there Japanese food made easy there must have been a huge amount of work went into to putting that together. Yeah
2: definitely a lot of work went in I suppose I wanted to be very close to it so I worked very closely on it I had a fantastic team around me Joe. Um, you know the Mercier team and then I had a uh, Ah uh, food Silas Orlan elegan was great, and Sarah Liddy, who used to work over in uh, Mercier, she was a great kind of mentor and support to me. but you know, so there was a whole team behind it um we had a photographer um and I suppose it was me telling my journey as well to the public so um I really enjoy doing that and the way it's great it's kind of my introduction to people now to have the book you know and it's great to be able to bring it along with me to all my events
0: whenever you were doing the book you're actually pregnant with your second boy is that right
2: yes oh that's right I can remember the late nights of typing with my big bump and you can see in the book itself you know I kind of go from having this big bump to holding a baby um because it kind of happened in between the two so um yeah it's it's nice to be able to see that journey in the book as well and he's there at home with you today because he's a
0: bit under he, the weather
2: Aww. he and um, yeah well this is the reality i suppose of being a working mom you know you get the call from Crest or a childminder that a uh, child isn't well so yeah Matthew's at home me today he has a little gastro bug
0: but you know we try to just juggle things as best we can. You do a lot of traveling so you're lucky that Gilmar is so supportive in everything that you do you're, you've recently just returned from a trip to Dubai.
2: Yeah, that's right. No, Gilmar, absolutely. I think everyone needs that, you know, either a supportive husband or a granny or somebody, you know, that you can go away and know the kids are going to be okay. Um, yeah, so I went out to Dubai um there a week or two ago. I was there for five days. I was working with a Japanese government organization called Jetro. So our equivalent here in Ireland would be Board Bia. And I was representing Uh, Japanese food and ingredients Um, but also they really wanted me to tell my story you know and so people could connect to it and show the health benefits of it Um, and so I went out there and I was giving a demo and talk to five-star hotel chefs to try and encourage them to bring the Japanese way of eating or Japanese ingredients onto their menus, you know, in their restaurants and just to show them how they could do that even in a fusion way rather than just a complete Japanese authentic
0: menu. So you you were doing consultancy out there in Dubai and that's something that you do here in Ireland also?
2: That's right. Yeah. So it's another kind of arm of the business that has grown, which is great. It's um giving consultancy to restaurants that are looking, I suppose, to tie in with the food trends of health and well-being to have you know a lot more healthy options on their menus because that's now what people are looking for which is fantastic and um yeah as i was saying to you earlier it's something i actually really get a, a sense of achievement out because you're affecting how people are eating and their well-being. So it's something I I certainly love to do because it allows me to be creative too. Um, But one thing I love doing when I'm doing that is always, you know, to hone in on the Irish producer and fusing the Japanese flavours with that. So you're also using the beautiful producers and ingredients we have here in Ireland.
0: And you're talking there about being creative and you've been so creative that you've come up with your own line of soy sauces.
2: I know. Yes. Fused by Fiona Uyema, it's called. And yeah, I loved doing this project and I launched it under Super Values Food Academy programme, which without it probably would not have been possible because I suppose I didn't have the right set of skills or knowledge to launch it. And they really supported me in that. I got I was with another group um here in Kildare and, all, you know, so to meet this group of like minded people, Um, And to be able to network with them and also get a skill set as a food producer to go into retail, because, you know, it's a it's um, like any industry you go into can have its challenges. And it was great to have Super Value there to support me with that. So, yeah, it launched in the Food Academy section of Super Value stores. And it's a range of flavoured soy sauces. So really with a health focus on them, um, there's three flavours, which I kind of put a a quirky name on them. Clever Classic, Glorious Ginger and Cheeky Chili. And, um, you know, they have no added sugar, preservatives, additives. We use non-genetically modified beans. So again, a really healthy product, but something that can be used for people that are busy, but yet want to eat healthy.
0: I'm just in awe here of how much you've done in the past couple of years, because this has all really come together just in the past 18 months to two years, hasn't it?
2: Yeah. And, you know, you always hear people say, you know, follow your dreams or if you do something you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And you can kind of hear these things and not really absorb it or take it in or just think, oh, well, that would never happen to me. But it is so true. If you work in what you love, you know, it, anything is possible, really, because you drive yourself to another level than you would when you're working on something that you're not really that passionate about. So I suppose that's what I would say to people. It does take courage because you have to make a leap. But if it's something you really believe in, I I think it it would work for anyone out there. And that's what's happened really with me. I don't think I could have ever imagined that I would have my own product on a
0: supermarket shelf in Ireland. So, you know, it's great. I'm really happy with it. You mentioned the blogging at the start and the support that you got from the bloggers. Is that something that you still have time to do now? Because I see you're right for a couple of of other publications
2: yeah, that's right. My poor blogging has probably got a little bit neglected because I suppose the other ways now is, yeah, I write for a Japanese um, website called Gaijin Pot. It's really for people, you know, that have lived in Japan or just have an interest in Japan. Um, and it's to give them recipes that they can work on at home that are easy and simple. And then I work with the taste that um, which fantastic team and I would write you know Japanese inspired recipes or just focused articles for them as well so I also launched my new website and I'm building content on that so I suppose that's kind of like my new blog it's my website um, so in that there's a recipe section and then I'm building up a kind of journal section you know let's say my trip to Dubai just writing up a bit about that so people can kind of see what I was up to there
0: and what I was doing and your Facebook page is a great source of what you're up to as well, because you were fantastic at documenting your trip to Dubai. I was <laughs> watching with with such envy from the, the flight over to the hotel and whatnot. It was lovely. I know.
2: Oh, look, it was an amazing trip. Absolutely fantastic. I would love to return. But yeah, a lot of people were saying to me, oh, you have to, you know, bring us on that journey to Dubai. So I think that's what kind of motivated me as well. So I decided you know I would do an update every night in my hotel room just with the events of the day because I suppose you don't realize it when you're caught up in it but people back home they really enjoy following that journey um and they find it so interesting because you're in another country or doing something that they're they've been following for a while so yeah I did a daily update and yeah I got great feedback I I was delighted with the amount of people that were coming back commenting and sending me private messages so um you know sometimes I can be a bit bad with my social
0: media so it's certainly motivated me to be more enthusiastic and consistent. Well tell us what's next then you mentioned the Mila Gallery so people can look it up there to see what classes are coming up that they can go to and you're going to be at Ballymaloe Malou Lit Fest on the 20th and the 21st of May surely there is a TV show in the offing. Not yet, actually. Sharon. There must <laughs> Sometimes be a TV I would often program be
2: on TV3 giving cooking demos on you know their Saturday or Sunday a.m. show, so not yet, actually, but never say never. Um, I suppose I'm looking at Fused now alongside Super Value are continuing to support me, and I really would love to build that product and add new products to it um, because at the moment we're primarily in Dublin and Kildare I'd love to spread the product out nationally across Ireland because you know I have followers in other county so i'd love to get the product out to them um but you often face these challenges with distribution and things like that that i wouldn't have even known about before i entered this um but that, i suppose is my aim for this year to try and focus on getting the product out around ireland and possibly then you know because a lot of people are saying what's your next product um it's like when you have a baby people are saying when are you having the next one <laughs> so uh, extending beyond that maybe you know to build up a, a really healthy japanese store cupboard for you know our my followers in ireland something they can trust and they know my name is behind it
0: well it's always a pleasure to talk to you and i really appreciate you taking the time especially when poor matthew is so pearly there we, we <laughs> no wish problem. we wish him all the best i hope he feels better soon and we wish you continued success thanks fiona Thank you very much, Sharon. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102FM. Welcome back to the Best Possible Taste with me Sharon Noonan. Just before the break I was talking Japanese cuisine, product development and following your dream with Ireland's Queen of Japanese cuisine, Fiona Uema. But don't worry, if you have missed any of the shows so far, it'll be up on the podcast later in the week and you'll find the podcast on SharonNoonan.com or you can also subscribe free of charge to it and download it on iTunes or use the podcast app. Still to come tonight, I'll be finding out from chef Louise Brosnan what it's like when the mentor becomes a mentee. Louise is chef de partie at Edo's and Dingle and a mentor on the Apprentice Chef programme, which inspires secondary school students to consider a culinary career whilst promoting healthy eating. And Louise travelled to Belfast there in January to do a stage with Ireland's only female Michelin star chef, Danny Barry, in Dean's Epic in Belfast. Next up, though, it's time to head stateside with direct flights from Dublin and Shannon to Philadelphia on offer at various times of the year. I thought it would be useful to find out what it has to offer The Food Lover, if you fancy going somewhere different than New York, for example. So I did a Skype call with Julie Coker-Graham, President and CEO of Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau a few weeks back. So let's have a listen to what she had to say. Cheers.
3: Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter.
0: Julie, thanks very much for taking the Skype call today to tell us all about Philadelphia. And I want to start off by asking you a bit about the culinary history of the city.
3: Oh, sure. We're really excited about uh, the enhancements that we've made over the years. So Philadelphia has really garnered global attention from whether uh, we're talking about the Iron Chefs or the Top Chefs or the James Beard Award winners that we have here Uh Visitors have the opportunity to sample anything from the local fairs at Reading Terminal um, to uh, local um, merchants that we have available to some of the top restaurants um, in the country that is here. I think what's really unique and what I enjoy about um, the history of our culinary is that we have these great intimate chef-driven BYOBs, which is just a great experience. you have that opportunity um, to have to experience that here in Philadelphia as well.
0: That's bring your own bottle because it's something that I'd be familiar with from the north of the country here in Ireland, but not something I see so much of as much down where I am now in the southern part. So bring your own bottle, just explain what that involves.
3: Sure. So diners have the opportunity to really combine some of their favorites with some of their favorite restaurants so if there's a great bottle of wine and a customer or or a couple enjoyed at their home they can bring that bottle with them to the restaurant and have a great meal and dinner and then sip on some of their favorite wine
0: you mentioned James Beard awards there and that's something that we wouldn't be as familiar with here but it's it's actually a very prestigious award to get isn't it
3: So it is it is is one of the top honors that a chef can achieve. Um, And it is heavily touted here in the United States. And it really is a coveted prize that some of our top chefs in the country receive. And the James Beard Award winners are announced every year. And we're fortunate to have some of those here in our city.
0: And Michelin star restaurants sound like everybody is familiar with that as an award. Tell us about some of the Michelin star places that you have in Philadelphia.
3: some of our, 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 more five dining restaurants? Yes. Sure. So we do have, um, uh, Mickey Motos, which is here in the city. We also have several winners. Um, Jose Garces Valver restaurant is also one. And then I would also, um, put into the same category, Vetri, uh, which is a great restaurant. And then one of our James Beard uh, Award winners has a restaurant here, and it's Zahav.
0: So you have the full spectrum there from the fine dining to the bring your own, which can be an equally fine dining experience, I'm sure. But tell me then a bit about street food. That's something that's become hugely popular here in Ireland. Is it something that's on the rise in Philadelphia or is it something that has always been there very much? Because obviously you're blessed with better weather in the the spring and summer than we would be here.
3: Absolutely. So we're very fortunate to have a very robust food truck scene here in Philadelphia. Um, We actually have the Food Truck uh, Association. And so... As you know, we just recently hosted the Democratic National Convention in July, and the food truck scene was really a big part of the convention. And we're also seeing uh, that several local businesses will do uh, lunch times out in the park, and they'll theme that or focus that around um, food trucks. But we have, we're, you know, we're fortunate because we are comprised of various neighborhoods, and so what happens in the spring when the weather is just fantastic. We've got the South Street Spring Festival that happens in May. We also have a great neighborhood here in Philadelphia, Rittenhouse Row. They also have a spring festival that happens in May. And then one of the things that was actually duplicated during the Democratic National Convention that worked extremely well, we have something called the Night Market in Philadelphia. And it really is uh, different offerings of the food truck fairs that we have. And so, what they did is they replicated that and actually did a day market fair, which was very well received and highly publicized, and really um, uh, folks enjoyed it. And then, lastly, we also have the festival, which is F E A S T I V A L, and it's in support of fringe arts and it celebrates both the arts and the culinary scene. And we celebrate that typically in September. So and then, of course, I'm sorry, and then lastly, we have our Uh, Wine and Food Festival uh, for Philadelphia, which is typically held in October, October 13th through the 17th.
0: It sounds like you've a fantastic full range of culinary events taking place throughout the calendar year.
3: We do. We really do. And and it continues to evolve. Um, You know, I think what Philadelphia has done with its culinary scene over the last five years has really made us um, one of the top cities for um, culinary experiences.
0: I think food visitors to any city, they're always looking out for the hidden gems and the culinary highlights that might be a bit off the beaten track that not everybody knows about. If anybody asks you that question, like where's where are the hidden gems, Julie, what would you say to them? Oh
3: sure, and, and and they're definitely, you know, some of my favorites. So one of the neighborhoods that I would definitely recommend is the East Passion Avenue. Um, it was actually list, listed as one of 10 best foodie streets in America, according to the Food and Wine magazine. Just some wonderful restaurants there that are highlighted. And then also, too, we have an area called Frankfurt Avenue. Um, it's adding to the cool factor of the Fishtown neighborhood, which is great. It's 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 really close to Center City District, um, and it has everything from coffee houses to bars to distilleries. And so there's a lot for um, folks to enjoy in that area.
0: Okay, super. So visitors to Philadelphia, if they're only there for a short time, say for 48 hours, would you have a few itineraries there that they could follow just to make the most of the culinary highlights?
3: Sure. I I would definitely say they want to start with, you know, a breakfast in the morning at High Street on Market. Um, It has seasonal menus and it offers great locally grown produce. And then because they're in their area, I would certainly um, ask them to explore, you know, some of our World Heritage UNESCO sites. And so of course that's the Independence National Historic Park. And of course our Liberty Bell is there. So it's a a nice way to kind of kick off the morning. And then right there in the same historic district area is City Tavern, which is a wonderful restaurant for uh, lunch. And it celebrates the history here in the city. It was first built in 1773. And obviously, it's historic because it's a restaurant that has hosted many of the founding fathers had historic uh, celebrations in there. And then after lunch, uh, you definitely want to shop in Philadelphia. One of our um, assets that we have is tax free shopping. So they want to take full advantage of that. And that's tax free on shoes and clothing. And then another neighborhood is Rittenhouse. So Stephen Starr has several, uh, close to 19 different restaurants in and around the Philadelphia area, but Rittenhouse has several restaurants that are right there and and they're great people watching places for them to enjoy. And then you can have a relaxing dinner there. And then of course, you know, in the evening, you want to wrap up the night with a cocktail or a nightcap. And we have several speakeasies that, um, really play to different types of audiences and offer different uh, music and different vibes. The next day, I would probably suggest Reading Terminal Market. It's just this wonderful indoor farmer's market and also a shopping destination. And it has over 80 local vendors, including an Amish section, uh, which is just very well received. And so you see a mixture of businessmen and police officers and local tourists that really flock to that area. And although you could spend, you know, half a day there, we suggest that you have breakfast and then move on to Museum Mile, of course, we're known for our cultural attractions, whether it be the Barnes Foundation or the Rodin Museum or the Philadelphia Museum of Art. Um, so there, there's time to spend there. And then once you've um, seen all it, taken in all of the cultural institutions that we have and also looked at the Franklin Institute, which is an interactive museum for science and innovation, we suggest that you stop by the Barnes Foundation and enjoy Bueno, bueno ono, ono, Ondo, which has great... Uh, fish tacos. And uh, one of the things that's new in the country right now is caviar. So they deliver to our office. So we absolutely love it. I probably have it one or two times a day. And then after lunch, just a short walk away would be the East State Penitentiary, which is another great um, attribute here in the city. And it's a historic prison and um, you can have an opportunity to see that. And then in the evening, I would probably send you over to Midtown Village and have uh, dinner at a great restaurant called Double Knot. It's dual purpose space, um, offering coffee by the day. And then there's just this mesmerizing bar by night, uh, made complete with sushi and other great creations.
0: Did you say, that? sorry, sorry to interrupt you there. Did you say there that there is somebody delivering caviar to offices at lunchtime?
3: (laughs) No. So there's a, delivery service and it's actually called caviar
0: oh i see they have
3: all of the local restaurants and so you can quickly go on and order and they'll show up at your office door in 20 to 25 minutes it's great and so a lot of us do the fish tacos around here
0: delicious sorry for interrupting you there please do continue
3: No, and I I think that's a a great way to spend 48 hours here in Philadelphia. There's so much to see and do, but there's a lot that can be accomplished in those 48 hours and get a really good flavor of the city.
0: Is there any signature dish or food that you would recommend visitors have to try?
3: You know, I think everyone always will ask us about the cheesesteak, which certainly uh, we are the home of the cheesesteak. And and I think we do a great job. I, I grew up on it. Uh, We also have hoagies and then there's also great soft pretzels that Philadelphia is known for. So those are some of the things that I would definitely try and and sample here in the city and is unique to our area.
0: Fantastic. So anybody that is planning a trip to Philadelphia, where can they go to get more details and more information?
3: Sure, they can go. There's several uh, uh, different opportunities, but our website is discoverphl.com. They can also follow us on social media. And our Twitter handle is at Discover Our Facebook is at DiscoverPHL. And of course, Instagram is at discover underscore PHL.
0: Fantastic. Julie, it's been great talking to you today, and thanks so much for telling us all about Philadelphia.
3: Thank you. And we look forward to welcoming visitors to our city.
0: You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan. So far on the show tonight, I've been talking Japanese cuisine, product development and following your dream with Ireland's Queen of Japanese Cuisine, Yona Uyama and just before the break I was finding out about the culinary attributes of Philadelphia thanks to Julie Coker-Graham, President and CEO of the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau. Don't forget if you've missed any of the shows so far, if you're just tuning in it will be up in the podcast later in the week and you'll find the podcast on SharonNoonan.com or you can subscribe free of charge and download it on iTunes or use the podcast app. Now the next and final interview this evening is with Louise Brosnan. Louise is a chef to party at Eda's restaurant in Dingle and a chef mentor on the Apprentice Chef programme you'll remember we were talking to Mark Doe about it a few weeks back it inspires secondary year students to consider a culinary career whilst promoting healthy eating well earlier this year Louise travelled to Belfast to undertake a stage with Danny Barry Ireland's only female Michelin star chef what was it like for the mentor to become the mentee well let's find out bon appétit yummy grub Delicious. Mm. Louise, you're very welcome to the show. How are you today?
1: I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me.
0: It's great to talk to you because I think you have a very interesting story to tell about how you came into the hospitality industry. It's something you were always interested in because
1: you started out waitressing. Yes, it would have been like a summer job and to make money to begin with. And then I just kind of started to, I suppose, fall in love with the industry in a way. And at what stage did you decide then that you were going to go on to actually train
0: to be a chef?
1: Um, It was after I had my daughter, actually, because I thought, okay, I had her at 21. And then I was like, okay, what am I going to do for the rest of my life, you know, to show her what what mommy can do and stuff. So I decided then to go to college at uh, 23.
0: And so that's not actually that old. 23 isn't that old to be going back to college. Maybe whenever you're 17, it seems old. But whenever you're in your 40s, 23 doesn't seem old, even though were you were you called a mature student? Yeah, we were.
1: There was, um, I suppose, six of us in our year. So it was nice to have people around the same age as well. But it was great to work with the younger people as well. And that was actually IT that you went? It was, yeah.
0: So tell us exactly what you studied. Was it a culinary arts degree?
1: Um, I started off doing professional cookery. So it was a certificate, um, a diploma certificate in professional cookery. So that was for two years. So I completed that and I went into the industry. Um, So after that, then I thought I wanted to do a bit more and went back to do the culinary arts degree, which was a three year programme part time.
0: You're from Dingle, so you were travelling back and forth to Durlea every day. That must have been quite demanding. Yes.
1: Oh, it was fine. It was, you know, it got shorter every time we went and we had time to study on the way in and stuff like that.
0: Being from Dingle, you're surrounded by a multitude of really fantastic restaurants and eateries there. So did you have your eye on anyone in particular that that was your goal to end up working in it?
1: Oh, yeah. Global Village was was the one. And I was lucky enough to get to work there as well for five years Um it was a place that was always talked about with high regard. You know there's loads in Dingle and, but that was my number one and I got there eventually.
0: I've eaten there once now last year at the Dingle Food Festival and it certainly has a Michelin Star Chef dish type vibe going on there that the food is very high end. Yeah it
1: definitely does. Um, Martin and Newell are constantly working on what people want and looking looking ahead at what other restaurants are doing and It's great. It's great to see them keep going and and emerging in an Irish cuisine aspect, I guess.
0: And when you were there, then you were approached by the Apprentice Chef team to become a mentor on the Apprentice Chef programme.
1: Yeah, it was great. Um, I was talking to Mark, both Marks, and um, they were just looking for a hand at the time, just someone to come in and, and give a hand. And I was all up for it. And eventually they asked me to come on board. So it was great.
0: How many students are you working with at the moment
1: on that particular programme? I have 25 25 students, yeah.
0: That's that's a lot of of students to be minding plus doing a full-time job and being a full-time mother as well.
1: Ah, It's great. I mean, the
0: students are great. Do you find it difficult being in that mentor role or is it something that you really enjoy and you really embrace?
1: I really enjoy it. Um, It's great to get feedback from them. It's great to have the interest Um, especially you know when they come back to you there's there's a lot of the students that are coming back on a daily basis with questions and photographs and it's encouraging for me as well to know that they're listening and they're taking on board everything so it's great i enjoy it
0: is it the type of program that had it existed when you were at school do you think you would have ended up being a chef much earlier
1: oh definitely definitely because it's it's going through the home ec
0: Was home economics one of your favourite subjects at school?
1: It was, yeah, that and art. So maybe that comes into play as well. They kind of go hand in hand, I think. Well, of course,
0: yeah, because whenever you look at some of the plates of food that you have produced, there is definitely a, a high level of creativity and art that goes into that.
1: Yeah, it's often called art on a plate and I suppose you eat with your eyes first, so... Food has to look appealing as well.
0: Now you are currently with Edos in in Dingle, which is a relatively new
1: restaurant to the town. That's right. Yeah, uh, it's a great restaurant. Um, big emphasis on local foods and foraging. Uh, I love what Kevin is doing there. So, like you say, it's a new restaurant, but you know, it's it's got its goals, and and we're we're going to get there. So. <laughs> And it's
0: always interesting moving from one place to another just to see the different dynamics in kitchens. And I know that you are very active on the conference scene and you went to Foot in the Edge last year.
1: Oh, yeah, it was a great experience.
0: And that actually opened up a new door for you. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, it definitely did. Um, I got to work with Danny Barry in uh, Epic in Belfast uh, in a stage. So it's like a work experience basis. So I was there for a week with her and her team, and it was just eye opening, just amazing to see the produce and the food and the dishes and the the team aspect and the the levels that they reach. There is amazing.
0: The the industry has come under a lot of pressure of late, not only because there is a chef crisis in terms of the shortage of chefs, but also there has been a lot of discussion about maybe a lack of women chefs and also how difficult it can be in a kitchen environment, working in a kitchen environment. You've been in the Michelin star kitchen now and you've been in various different places in Kerry. Mm -hmm. What has your experience been? What would you say to somebody that has said this is a really challenging industry if you're a woman?
1: I think it's challenging for for both male and female. I've been in um, all different environments. One of my first jobs was working in a kitchen with all females. Um, a very different experience than to going into a kitchen full of all-male chefs. But you just have to kind of hold your own and and don't, don't back down. If you have an opinion, you know, put it out there and try not to be afraid, you know. But I think if there was a mix of both, it would probably be best. Um, Some women would have a reputation for
0: not supporting each other and not giving each other the help that they might need. to to get on but that's certainly not the experience that you had with Dani up in Epic in
1: Belfast no she's absolutely amazing so welcoming and willing to give information and help and friendly and just and a great boss as well I could see that the way she worked with her team that they weren't afraid to approach her there was no fear of you know the head chef anything like that it was all very team orientated but her word was was the last word which was great as well Tell us about a typical
0: day in Epic. What time of the day do you land into the kitchen at? Um, I landed in at
1: 10 on the first day. Um, that's their typical time that they say they start. That said, they were all there ahead of me. So that just goes to show their eagerness to work. Um, then you would uh, I was given a section or to work with a chef on a section. So it was pastry, we'll say, on my first day. And just there to help her, whatever she needed. She was giving me tasks, um, telling me about the menu, explaining what every every element was for and how the dish would come together and that all came to head then when it came to service I was able to see why I was doing this and what it was for and it was a real kind of structured day so it was great.
0: Now when you arrived
1: at the door you didn't know where to go you just went to the main door didn't you? Yes I knocked I knocked on the front door and Michael Dean was sitting inside in in his restaurant because he does own the the front we'll say and um, I had no idea who he was because I hadn't met him before face to face and he was like are you here for lunch and I was like no I'm here to work so he was like okay I'll bring you through to Danny such a down-to-earth man you know it was great a great first impression.
0: So tell us what you learned in the week in terms of maybe technical skills and what did you come away with at the end of the week?
1: Well obviously um, they have a lot kind of more different equipment than I would have ever used before and the way they use equipment is is different as well they have a lot of backpack machines Paco jets for making sorbets ice cream stuff like that um, but it, it's not even about the equipment I saw just the way they worked it was the way they approached a job um, everything was standardized recipes everything was very controlled and that's the way you do it and that's the outcome you want because they want consistency and that's I think that's really important when You're running a Michelin star restaurant like that, that everything needs to be the same, the same level.
0: Whenever you're watching on TV the programmes that that show chefs and the pressure that's on in the kitchen and it's all go, go, go. Was it like that in a Michelin star kitchen or is the pace
1: a bit slower? The pace was a lot slower, a lot slower. And it's a lot easier then to control what's going on. Uh, One voice mostly is the one you want to hear is your head chef unless you're asking a question and you have to excuse you know and in if you're interrupting them you try not to interrupt the flow of service so if you have a question you know leave it to an appropriate time it, it's fairly quiet as a system the way it works it's all about communication and clear communication
0: and going into that role and becoming the mentee with a mentor have you been able to take something away from the experience that you'll be able to use with your own students on the Apprentice Chef programme?
1: I would hope so. I would have taken away some of Danny's experience, the way she talks to people and how she deals with situations and communicates her point across.
0: Is it something you'd like to do again?
1: Oh, definitely. Definitely. I, I think you can never know everything in this industry. And it's great to get experience from other chefs and, and work together instead of against each other. I think that's very important.
0: If you could choose any other restaurant now to go to to do a stage on, what would be top of your list?
1: Probably a year in Galway. Um, I love what they do there. It's uh, such a great place. I've been to eat there as well and it was just fantastic. Um, I love what J.P. McMahon and his team present there, how they present their food and the food that they use as well. So I find it very interesting. And you got
0: the opportunity to
1: dine at Epic as well. I did. I did. And that was an amazing experience to to be outside there and, and see from the other side um, how the food comes out and how it's presented by the waiters and, you know, their knowledge and their experience with wine pairings and everything. It's just amazing. It's just a, a totally different experience.
0: Can you tell us a bit about the favourite dish that you had when you were there?
1: Um, it would have to have been the vegetarian course, Um a lovely piece of roasted artichoke and then just different ways of having the artichoke they had the puree they had used the crumbs of we'll say the skins just full of flavor full of flavor it was just amazing and and to have a vegetarian course as your favorite course and not be a vegetarian i think is something amazing they're they're really doing it right there
0: because it's it's a tasting menu that they offer there and and they have like the, a vegetarian one and a non-vegetarian one so people that are vegetarians yeah. are as well looked after as the, the meat eaters yeah i think that's very important this year on the apprentice chef program you have 20 odd students is one of them going to take
1: the crown this year do you reckon um i see potential in every single one of them so i would not be surprised and what sort of dishes have they been cooking up for you Um, There seems to be a theme every year. And this year, a lot of my students in particular are going down the route of uh, fish, which is great. A lot of them are using seasonal vegetables, which is great as well. So they're aware of what's in season. And the whole idea of the good mood food is that it's healthy eating, but it's also something, you know, that's attractive and that you'd want to eat. And I think they're getting that point really well. So that's really encouraging.
0: I think it's great that secondary school students at that age have a fondness for fish because certainly I wasn't eating a lot of fish at that age
1: No I I wouldn't have been either but it's great to see
0: Okay well listen we wish you all the best with the Apprentice Chef programme and um, continued success in Edo's there in Dingle and I I have no doubt now that you'll be getting to do that stage in the near in Galway in the next 12 months Well we hope so Great to talk to you, thanks for talking to me You too, thanks Cheers, Chin Chin
3: Salut, Schlainter
0: Great to talk to Louise, and my thanks to her and tonight's other guests, Fiona Uema and Julie Coker Graham. You'll have noticed the increase in Skype interviews of late, and that's because we have an ongoing technical issue with the phone in the studio. But when it is resolved, I promise we will have the lovely Georgina Campbell, one of Ireland's leading hospitality gurus, to update us on the Board Be It Just Ask initiative. So if you're up the demo with Lizzie Lyons in Bally seedy home and garden tomorrow morning at 11 o'clock or the mustard seed dinner tomorrow night, be sure to say hello and until next week, bon appetit.